Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Network's podcast. I am your host, Dr. Grace Mansourisu, and this episode we are talking to Shyam Bundy. And Shyam is, or Shy, is a kind of a trainee child and adolescent psychotherapist, and he's in his preclinical training, um, which is comprises of two to three years, and then afterwards he will then apply to a clinical doctorate of four years which is separate from the clinical psychology doctorate. Shai's kind of pathway and journey to psychology is really 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 unique it's probably the most unique I've heard and definitely the most unique on this podcast. Um, Shai currently works as a multidisciplinary pathway worker in Essex and he has had roles including a psychological assistant and he's also worked as an assistant speech and language therapist as well which was part of his assistant psychologist role. He really enjoyed kind of fusing together lots of different modalities and knowledge within his work and he works with a multidisciplinary team or MUT. So within this episode there are quite a lot of acronyms as a lot of our podcast include so I thought I would let people know what those acronyms mean so MDT is multidisciplinary team EP means educational psychology ASD is autistic spectrum disorder or disorders PWP is psychological well-being practitioner and OT is an occupational therapist so I just thought I'd give you a bit of a background as to some of those acronyms but um He also, as long as, as well as being a multidisciplinary pathway worker and also a trainee or doing the preclinical training of the child and adolescent psychotherapy course, he also runs an organisation he's a co-founder of called Young Black Psych, along with his partner, Lauren. And Young Black Psych basically follows and creates resources for young people of colour to be able to express themselves and work in a psychologically informed way with practitioners, school teachers at home as well. So um, I will be putting a link to their website, Young Black Psych, in the description if you'd like to purchase or have a look at what Cheyenne's working on as well and Young Black Psych, what they're doing. But please stay tuned to this episode. It's really informative. Also, if anybody, the whole point of this episode and the whole point of the podcast um, both of them have aligned today somehow and it's just about showing people that there's so many different ways to do psychology you don't have to go down the clinical route the clinical doctorate route if you don't want to and Shai is a brilliant example of this really exploring seizing opportunities doing lots of different types of work experience including bar work including working in a call center as well as being an assistant psychologist so stay tuned to listen to Cheyenne's story. All right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Network's podcast. Today we have someone who I'm really interested in speaking to, but I'm going to let him introduce himself first. So would you, first of all, thank you for coming. And second no of all, please, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Cheyenne Bundy, but everybody calls me Shy for short. And I'm the co-founder of Young Black Site, which is a... Uh, social enterprise company where we specialize in making resources for mental health resources for children of color or children from black minority ethnic backgrounds Um, and I am also a multidisciplinary pathway worker in the NHS so I work across um, 
Basil Dillon Brentwood, Emotional Wellbeing and Mental Health Services, which is basically CAMS as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that introduction. And I will be picking into a few of those areas um, because I, yeah, I need explanation as to the role, your, your day job, your main role, because I don't know what that means. <laughs> so yeah. Can you introduce that role and both of them to be fair, the, mm. um, the CAMS role with you, children and young people in various local authorities? Yeah. So I, as, because I work in Essex, Essex works a little bit differently to London right. um, in the sense that we're not actually known as CAMS, we're known right. as UMS, which stands for the Emotional Wellbeing and Mental Health Service in Basildon. Wow. Um, so how that typically works is it's a combination tier two and tier three um, system yeah. that accepts referrals from the community and other agencies or for children and young people's mental health. Right. So day to day, um, as I say, I've recently been promoted. Holla at your boy. <laughs> so I'm one of the band six clinicians now wow. as a multidisciplinary pathway worker. So Brilliant. I do a combination of individual therapeutic work and also group interventions as well. Um, and on top of that, I've also, I'm going to be having my safeguarding supervisor training soon as well. Which I'm really looking forward to because I like the idea of I love supervision. I love the idea of being able to offer supervision as well. Um, so that's going to be exciting. And also just um, within the role as well, I do a lot of assessments. So I do um, initial assessments that are referred again from the community, mm-hmm. be it GP or um, self-referrals. And then I also do lab consultations. So they are consultations of social workers mental, right. and um, mental health coordinators mm-hmm. or children in the care system as well. Wow. Um, so that's a kind of general overview of the kind of the, the nine to five or eight, half eight or half five, if you will, um, which is good. And then also separate to that, I have uh, Young Black Site with my partner, Lauren, and we're both co-founders of that company. And again, making mental health resources. So yeah. um, th- it's actually a year old. Can you believe it? Like it's been a whole year since we started this out. It feels longer, you know. I don't know why. Right? It feels like I've seen you around for ages, but actually, it is just a year. Wow, what a year. Mm. So it all kind of kick-started back um, last year. And my partner, um, for her final year uni project, she, um, well, you go back a little bit. So as working in the NHS, in my current role and in my previous role as an assistant psychologist, mm. I was doing a lot of one-to-one work with young people in East London right. and I was always having to make my, make my own resources be right. it cutting and sticking laminating gluing stuff all that stuff and it was always a bit of a nightmare then having to look for resources that representative of the kid I was working with right and so one day my partner was kind of saying to me like you know like oh like wouldn't it be cool if like, you had your own resources and I was like yeah but like I am like I am not the creative one, like I'm more the analytical one and right. she's the creative one. And then so for her final year project, what she was able to do was be able to not only kind of design the A to Z coping strategy card, which we launched, um, but also kind of just completely like revitalize and just rebrand Young Black Psych. Because for me, Young, Young Black Psych started off as just, just a like a blog that I had. Right. It was on it actually the first conception of it was actually on WordPress yeah so I had a WordPress blog that was Young Black Psych and it was all about like the like the life of an assistant psychologist in East London okay 
And within that um, role, it was a sort of a combined role. So I was, I was an assistant psychologist, but I was also a speech and language therapy assistant. Wow, so you've really done it all. Wow. <laughs> so it was cool because I was working as part of like a bit of an MDT consisting of like EPs, um, clinical psychs, um, speech and language therapy assistants and speech language therapists okay. as well and OTs as well. Yeah. So it was great having a really good combined role in that mm. sense. So I was coming straight out of university at that point when mm-hmm. I really only had experience in like retail, um, yeah. bar jobs, that kind of stuff, nightclub work. Mm. So to get the opportunity to then do that and then actually finding out that, wow, I like, I, I'm a big kid at heart as well. Like I love playing in like ball pool pits, ball pool pits and just like sand and just like toys. <laughs> so when I was, when I was going to work, cause in, um, in my AP role mm-hmm. I, every day was different for me so like I had um two days a week I was in a nursery wow. one day I was, I was in an ASD unit in yeah. London and the other days I was in like a primary school in Gravesend right right it's a real variety yeah so it was awesome and so I kind of got to kind of know what like what it was like working clinically with young people but mm-hmm. before kind of really getting to understand the the basics at first around the therapy relationship and what mm-hmm. that means mm-hmm. as a clinician um and then from there I just realized that I actually really really love working with children and it was just so much fun because then like I kind of especially in the nursery you know going to work didn't really feel like work yeah and you know you know it's one of those things where I found in the first instance was when it came to working with kids I got sick all the time <laughs> all the I, time I was constantly getting like eye infections and just like sick bugs and just like being on and off of work but just you know despite all of that I absolutely loved the job and it was great then being there for about a year and a half because mm-hmm. then that it that also offered me opportunities to work abroad oh so, wow so I did a piece of work in Nigeria in, in Abuja for two weeks with a family, Amazing. which was really nice. And then I also followed the family to Frankfurt for a week as well and supported them there, which was cool. Um, so then, yeah, so then kind of, and then during my time, uh, I, kind of, I kind of got off on a bit of a tangent, I suppose. No, no, I, no, it's fine. I think with the, um, so during my time, in this, so if I go back, so my undergraduate was, yeah. my undergraduate was at Nottingham Trent University and I studied right and I studied um psychology and criminology yeah um and it's a really funny story actually because I didn't actually get into university to do the course I wanted to do in the first (laughs) instance so I didn't get the A-levels right well not a lot of people know this but the reason why I didn't get my grades is because my I I had a I won't say who but like someone I my family got got really sick Mm, sorry to hear that yeah thank you and it was it was it was I mean they're all they're all good now and stuff but Mm. it was really interesting because at the time you know I was a you know give or take 16 17 year old lad who was going through something and not really knowing why my grades were being impacted right and it wasn't until kind of in hindsight looking back thinking huh maybe that's why I didn't so do too well because I had so much going on and no one to talk to about it Mm. so I so initially I applied to do psychology mm-hmm. and I was going to go to either Birmingham City University or Nottingham mm-hmm. Trent. Right. And then I didn't get the grades to do straight psychology. Right. But they did offer me a changed course offer for psych and crim. Right. So that was quite cool because then I was like, oh, like, you know, I visited both universities and then I ended up falling in love with Nottingham because my mum was from Nottingham. Oh. 
So when her family came over from um, Jamaica, they lived yeah. in Nottingham. Yeah. And then my mum married my dad and they moved to Leeds. Oh, I see. So, so you've cool. got like a bit of a... Yeah, like there was some there was something about the city that I just fell in love with. And yeah. it's just like, you know, if mum was here, you know, it, it it felt safe for her, then mm. I could do this as well. And yeah. it wasn't too it wasn't too far from Leeds. And um also I had an uncle and a cousin who were also living in in Nottingham as well. Perfect. So it was really cool being able to know that okay, I'm going into this new sort of city at the age of like 17, 18, but I'm not entirely alone. Like none of my friends from sort of sixth form went to Nottingham and Trent University. So I was really kind of leaving almost everything behind to just try and reinvent myself in a way. Yeah. And then so being there for three going on four years, Mm. because what was nice was the fact that, you know, the course was really hard and thinking back to it. And I definitely remember thinking like, you know, I'm a, I'm a first year. I've been given all this student loan money. And there's, there's, there's no lectures on money management. So obviously I'm going to spend it all on just rubbish and get myself into a bunch of debt and everything. But who cares? Because I'm at university. But going kind of in those three years, I learned so much about myself. Yeah. Because um, again, like not everyone knows about this about me and my journey. But when I was in second year of university, a very mm. close friend of mine passed away back mm. home. And that was really tough for me because all I wanted to do at that point was just drop out of university. Of I was like, well, what's the, what's the point? You know? mm. um, but a big part of me was, you know, going back to Leeds and kind of being able to spend those last few months with her um, and a close friend of mine as well, like with the three of us, yeah. it meant that, you know, when, when she eventually passed away, I just kept thinking to myself, like, you know what, if she was in this position, I feel like she would still go, I feel like she would still go on. Yeah. I feel like she was still, like, want to do this and kind of make me proud kind of thing yeah, yeah so I went back into sort of second year um with that mindset and it was really hard because you know I didn't seek support for so right. long I kind of just pretended that everything was okay and yeah. I turned to a lot of things that I wasn't necessarily proud of to kind of get me through it all but looking back it wasn't until my the lads in the house were kind of like you know shy like you really need some help like you know that I eventually ended up reaching out for support and getting right some mental health support through the Mm. university yeah and that was really cool because then that was my first experience of kind of accessing therapy you know seeing what that was going to be like getting getting in and out of it and I had a range of counsellors throughout my time at university right and it was good because then it meant that I was able to continue on I was able to kind of get the support from the university that I needed through um what do you call them uh extenuating circumstances Mm -hmm. and those things and yeah getting to the end of my degree and you know my dissertation I got a tutu in it the overall I got a tutu I was I was so happy I mean you've done exceptionally because people don't people look at the outcome and they're like you don't know what people have gone through to literally get up Mm. if you're able to get up and get out of bed and go to a lecture like that's that's a feat in itself a lot of the time honestly and it was so because and I, and I never forget because those days felt so overwhelming. The mm. idea of getting out of bed felt so overwhelming, and it was there was a lot of days where I didn't go into university. Mm. I just couldn't face it. Yeah. And then there and then before I realised it, I was falling behind in work mm. and thinking like, how am I going to get out of this? But again, like the support of my tutors and really kind of the, the counselling services at the university at the university as well to help yeah. me get through that and just even just submitting a work, even if it wasn't the best piece of work, just getting something in. Get it done. Get it yeah. done. 
So then going into third year, again, I had an amazing group of lads around me at the time mm. who really supported me. And I also, some of them were going through their own struggles as well. Mm. So it was great to have that sort of um, support system around me, whilst also getting support from my family who were kind of around as well at the time. Yeah. So I managed to kind of finish university and then um, do the three, for the course was only three years. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing was, the plan was, I wasn't quite ready to leave Nottingham just yet. So I was like, okay, I'm not leaving yet. I'm going to, I was working two jobs. I was working no. as a, I was working in a bar during the day and I was doing a lot of night. I was doing, and I was a supervisor in a call center in the evening. Oh my university. gosh, really? Mm. And then all throughout, all throughout university, I was always working. So if it was different retail jobs, bar jobs, but through and through, like from the age of 18, I was really into nightclub work. Right. I did a lot of ticket sales, a lot of um, host, um, trying trying to host events, trying yeah. to like, um, you know, just um, do um, promo for promotions. Yeah, well. yeah, and that was great because that was always reliable work. You know, I had a yeah. really good relationship with the with the lads who ran the nightclubs in Nottingham. I had some experience from a few. La- I had I had some experience from my time in Leeds as well. Yeah, growing up in that scene and kind of helping out and getting to know what to do. Yeah, so being able to take that take that into Nottingham. And then have, so yeah, so fourth year of uni kind of is here now, or fourth year in Nottingham, and I'm doing a call centre in the evenings, the bar during the day, and then also balancing on some nightclub work as well. And then also kind of at that point, I was thinking, right, I need to, I need to kind of do something a bit more psychology related, perhaps. So Mm -hmm. I started looking at um, trying to volunteer. Okay. Volunteer work. So through one of my academic tutors, there's an email saying that there was a parent looking for a, there was a parent of a young person with ASD, the autism, and they were looking for someone to be trained as an ABA tutor. Which oh, is an, brilliant. Like an so applied, I think an applied behavior analysis, I think. Yeah. Called. Yeah. So they were looking for someone to do that, to work with their two or three-year-old son, I think. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Mm. I'm going to go for it but I never got as far as meeting the family because then what happened shortly after that was I was um I was approached by again like so I'm I was quite fortunate in the sense that my uh, my mum my mum's sister is a clinical psychologist oh. so she it's one of those ones where I kind of I don't often like to say that because it's <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain in, no, in, in a little bit but it's one of those things where it was like i um, she had a she had a business partner who's a speech and language therapist or a right. consultant and they had this company that you know was doing quite well and stuff in, in London mm-hmm. and there's little old me, me little old me in Nottingham and not really having any clinical experience but like a big heart and wanting to try mm. and do something so I managed to get an interview with the her business partner right because at that time I was thinking that actually perhaps I want to be a speech and language therapist right yeah because I remember um Again, like around the same time of having the chance to work with the two or three year old, mm-hmm. I went to a careers advisor. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't like call center work anymore. Like it's really, really boring. Okay. The bar work was amazing, but again, it was just politics in the bar and stuff like that. It just wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and nightclub work, it was getting cold. I didn't want to be outside anymore. <laughs> so I went yeah, to that him life. and he was like, oh, like speech and language therapy. So I was like, okay, yeah. this is this is this could work. Mm had the interview with him it went really well yeah um and before I knew it you know I was offered a position to kind of work the initial role was called a communication and behavior assistant so the combination okay. of psychology and speech and language work mm-hmm. that I'd be doing 
And I started off working with like two other like two other young two other like um, I guess clinicians who were in that right. role as well. Right. And then over this period of like sort of eighteen months, it transitioned from um, SLTA to then AP, and then just right. doing a, just doing a comp. But because I am. Um, because I was doing sort of psychometric assessments mm-hmm. with, under the supervision of the educational psychologist. Right. Because I loved doing the assessments. I loved doing the ways and the wire and going into school observations and doing my notes. Right, right, it felt, right. It felt really like up my sleeve and I, I, was, I was good at it. Mm. And I was building rapport with kids really easily. So I thought maybe this is what I could be doing. Yeah. But scoring those assessments by hand, man, that took, that took ages. Long. So I was just a bit like, okay, like, you know, we'll keep it going. And because I had a, quite a good relationship with the school I was working with in as an SLTA, right. they, were, they were like, you know, when it came to renewing their contracts, they were like, we want, we want to have Shy back. We want to keep working with him. Like he's really, it gets some of the kids really well. Like it's yeah. really good for them. So that was really good for myself being able to just throw myself in the deep end and be like, anything you want me to do here, anything you want me to run, like that's new that I'm not sure of, like do it. And then, any opportunity for CPD that came up yeah I was straight away on it I was going on all the training they could throw at me and to this day I still am an avid believer in you know CPD and keeping your your tools sharp like that so that was kind of that was my time um during that and I would say I went from there and went to the NHS and now I'm in this now I'm in this role now as a fantasy clinician after two years in the NHS um and a bit more about my background is so kind of like following the time in um, the AP role I yeah. went to the Institute of Arts in Therapy and Education okay so it's like IATE mm-hmm. and um, I did a certificate in therapeutic play six months right so that was a really experiential course of about mm-hmm. me and like nine other people yeah and we were introduced into different ways of like working with children and young people so yeah modalities using like sand trade therapy and like puppets um using clay um just so much like therapeutic art then Mm. how how art can be used to kind of you know communicate with young people communicate with their in their um, their internal worlds um what is that course called again just so (laughs) to write that down so it's um it was a therapeutic play at the institute of art in therapy and education right um, so yes, yeah, so I did that over a period of about six, six to eight months, give or take, part time yeah. on yeah. weekends, and taking all those skills that I'd learned into my clinical work in the yeah. schools, and it was really, really fun because then it meant that I was coming off the back of you know, I, I sometimes feel like a lot of psychology courses at university do not give you anywhere near the insight or the clinical know-how as to what you should be doing when it comes to actually working in the NHS or working for a third party. Um, working full stop. Yeah. You know, I knew what a phantom limb was based <laughs> off of like a lecture one time. That was my favourite mod- That, that was know? one of my favourites. <laughs> phantom limb syndrome. Yeah. And then being like, oh yeah, like these like classic studies. Because like, I was like, where are the studies that I had at A-level? You know, Milgram, um, Zimbardo, all those great studies and that. And I got to university and it was just a bit like, eh, this is like, I mean, criminology was was awesome to think about, but then the psychology yeah. just felt like it was really missing something. Yeah. And then when it came to actually working, I was like, wow, like, I can't recall any theory that I've learned that has been applicable to what I do at the moment. So I was Can thinking they? like, I was like, why, why is that? Like, you know, 
I know that nowadays we have like courses like the PWP course, yeah. which they're like separate entities and like they give you the clinical skills. But I was literally thinking like when I was looking at those roles, I was like, this at least a module on this should be in all undergraduate degrees because it's like, how else are you supposed to learn about these things unless you're like in that in that sort of space? It makes no sense. It's like topsy turvy. I get it. They want to give us a foundation. But mm. some of those dry modules, like, give us a break, please. Oh, my god! Because I, <laughs> but, there's only so much you can I could take of the psycho. It was like, it was cognitive psychology, but it was dry. Yeah. It was so dry. And I'm like, I can't, I can't get my head around this. Give me, give me, like, a deprivation study. Mm. I, I can, at least I can relate to it. Like, there's a child. I get it. But, like, mm. if you're just giving me the anatomy and the physiology of an eyeball because mm. I did a whole module on like vision okay <laughs> yeah I don't I'm not going to remember that just not that's it and then it's and, and then you think about it it's like all these you know a lot of these universities that freshers week or or even kind of before then you know will sell you this idea that this course is like really good and you should do it you know and they have the modules there but there's just not a lot of clinical application no and I say that to a lot of undergraduate students when they message me and they're like, oh, like, what should I, why did you pick, why did you pick Trent? Like, how did you get to the NHS? Like, what would you advise? And I'm literally like, your best friend will be getting some clinical experience and do not be afraid to work for free, unfortunately. Unfortunately, like, yeah. It is, it is a very, it's a messed up system that psychology, that the psychology, the, the realm of psychology, unfortunately has. And I, you know, I genuinely, my heart aches for anyone who has to do any of those honorary ap role because yeah. they're just they're just yeah <laughs> it's exploitative it is it's very exploitative it's a pyramid so scheme friend of mine. oh my gosh yeah <laughs> i love that so yeah it's just one of those things where it's like i get yeah, and a bit top topic kind of thing but you know okay. just i i really feel like um yeah so my whole kind of traje- trajectory into psychology has mm-hmm. very much been influenced by the certificate I did because yeah. that modality and way of working really piqued my interest at that point I was like yeah. whoa out of the 27,000 pounds I have spent now at university on these three years this certificate is by far the the, the, the what I was looking for out of all of that no. <laughs> so I was a bit like okay cool and that's what spurred me on to do to kind of pursue the route in child psychotherapy right. because I was a little bit like as I say, my my aunt was a clinical psychologist, mm-hmm. and I was very much at this point in the psychology sphere on Twitter yeah. and Instagram. So I, I love, <laughs> you know, like I think you had um, Elliot on your podcast that recently. Yeah, as well. I did. And I've been following him for what feels like years now, um, from when he was a PWP, and right. really kind of yeah, especially like and only like you know seeing another like um, young person of color pursuing this um, route, I was like couple of years back and I was like kind of very new to all of it yeah so it's been great over the years to see many more young people of color kind of step forward and get into these roles but for me I felt that clinical psychology was a quite a in all honesty to be quite candid I felt like it was something that I was never going to be able to aspire to Mm. that's because of my initial my my two two undergraduate yeah and that was really hard to I was always told by like my aunt and other people like you know you're gonna have to do a master's if you want to do clinical psychology because your tutu is not going to be enough and then I remember like the heartbreaking realization when I was looking through the the alternative handbook one day and thinking 
all of these courses are like you need to get a minimum of like 62 per 10 and you yeah. have to have got this this grade in statistics and all this other stuff and there's there's no there's no there's no mention or like any kind of like acknowledgement of anyone who has gone through mental health difficulties at university and has been unable to get those grades so it's like if you almost like if you weren't able to if you weren't able to you know not go through anything at university and then and still get that two one like you know then perhaps like great that was something that you could have considered but if not it really felt like at the time that there was like don't, don't look this, this way don't look this way because you can't you can't sit with us over here basically yeah it's extremely exclusionary it mm. doesn't give any leeway to people that have lived experience or just have experience like mm-hmm. everyone at uni is able to university is such a rigid way of work, learning and it's such a contrast from school or college that most people cannot grasp that quickly as well as juggling just life when mm-hmm. you're that young it doesn't make any sense it seems like people are being penalized for not being machines mm-hmm. basically <laughs> like robots that can churn out grades regardless of circumstance it's just I think it's very reductive sorry I, I um cut you off slightly but I just no, honestly and you're so right like it genuinely is and, and I think I, th- I said to you before we started recording you know I I think and again this is kind of more of an unconscious thing for myself and I'm still processing it I suppose but mm. I feel like for me whenever whenever the declin psych application cycle comes around you know I I, I unfortunately find myself feeling quite triggered by the whole thing because you know to this oh even with even with my new mindset and the career I want to do and all the things I have on Whenever I see the application cycle come around, I get this FOMO as if like I should be applying as well. You know, mm. I, maybe I shouldn't have given up so so soon. But then I have to like remind myself that this wasn't my, my heart wasn't in it. Mm. My heart wasn't in it. Like at the end of the day, like that, you know, I recognized in myself fairly early on that I didn't want to become a psychologist. I felt like it was too, there were too many barriers yeah. that I didn't think were fair. But then consider, and I knew that I could still do a, a pretty good job working with young people and not have that title. Absolutely. And I, and I found that, you know, especially when it came to working in CAMS and mm. working in the NHS, mm. like I work in a multidisciplinary team. So we have many other professionals who work with children and adolescents, yeah. from counselors to psychotherapists to art therapists, drama therapists, you know, psychologists, um, psychiatrists. And not one role is better than another. Like, yes, there is a hierarchy in terms of the, you know, the banding and things like that. But, you know, if you're a band five clinician, if you're a band four clinician, you know, you're still treated as like someone who has a valuable voice. And when it comes to considering care plans mm. and interventions and kind of ways of working. And I just felt like that was way more important to me than than having a, a, a couple of letters after or before my name yeah um so that was kind of, so that's kind of like where my head is at and I've I've taken you know and again this is this is by no means a discredit to anyone who wants to pursue clinical psychology no. you know I have met some incredible psychologists in my time my aunt being one of them you know and the clinical leader myself as well she's amazing mm. but I 
stress to people so much that clinical psychology is not the only way of a psychology degree it's one route out of yeah. very many yeah. and you can still do you can still change lives and and be an asset to an advocate and asset to families and young people without that title absolutely and what you've done there is summarize the whole point of my podcast <laughs> um first of all opening up psychology routes to people mm. like us who haven't heard like before this podcast, I genuinely didn't know what a clinical psychologist did. And I know clinical psychologists, we just never spoke about work ever. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hang on, what do they do? All day? Like, what is the training and what do they do? And mm-hmm. then the same with all the other discipline, never spoken to a forensic psychologist before trainee. I didn't have a clue what they did because when you study psychology undergrad, they don't tell you what the applied areas actually do in a professional role. I mean, I never heard yeah. it, not really. Um, so I was just like hang on like there's all these areas and people are touching so many people's lives but what actually happens mm-hmm. and why do they need to go through this training to get there so absolutely there's more than one way to, there's more than one thing to do with a psychology degree 100%. um for me I I was kind of lucky I suppose that I never really wanted to go the clean psych route I wasn't interested <laughs> even mm-hmm. at a young age wasn't fussed so I was able to go to the occupational route which is a whole I mean, I've spoken about it before in different episodes. That's a whole different minefield of nonsense. Mm. But um, it at least, and then when I did start looking at what you need to get onto clinical psychology doctorates, I was just like, there's no way. I, it would have been so difficult for me to be able to get onto a course. Absolutely. And it would have just been soul destroying. It can be very, very um, disheartening if you're if you think that's the only route, but as Shai said, there's so many ways to work with kids. I think a few or work with people. Our first episode of this kind of series, um, I interviewed Becca, Rebecca Francis, who is a speech and language therapist and did undergrad psychology. And mm. again, I didn't even, it wasn't until years after I finished my undergrad, maybe four years after, that I met a trainee speech and language therapist and she told me about it, but I didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about, I knew what speech and language therapists did, but I didn't know how to get there if that was what I was interested in. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So things and, like that. Sorry, and it's and it's and it's it's mad as well because like again, like you know, careers certain, especially what I find in when it comes to applying for NHS roles, mm. a lot of the advertising for certain roles is quite outdated, and a lot of it tends to stress that you have to have a core profession, yes. and it's also kind of like, oh, well, what's that? And that tends to kind of, a, a, you know, be either a counselor, yeah. either an occupational therapist, a speech yeah. language therapist, you're just a social worker, a teacher. And if you're someone who has a psychology degree, you don't mm. have a core profession at that point. And in some people's eyes, you have to be, you have to have done a master's and the doctorate to yeah. then be, to then kind of, in some respect, kind of then be able to use the membership, PPF membership. Ugh. It's very weird. Like, and I think that's, then if that again these big institutions like you are putting these young people through, through courses like consistently and psychology is a popular course to go on to yeah but then after three years you're telling them that oh by the way you can't work anywhere because we haven't given you any experience and you can't work privately because you haven't got any registration or anything like that so it makes it even that little bit harder when it comes to applying for any clinical experience because you don't have a core profession 
Hmm. which I've thankfully did my service has been quite open to interpretation on that and they've really built up clinicians who have started from the bottom so to speak Mm. and then kind of went way up because you know not once in my role has it it been a case that I need to like fathom or use my I mean yes like I'm guided by the principles of a psychologist in that respect that BPS guidelines like that but there is so much more you can learn on the job if people are given the chance. Absolutely. And I'm, I've always just been like, that's why I'm always like, you know, anyone who messages me, I'm always like so forthcoming with information. I'm just like, when I was that age, like, I didn't know anything. Didn't know, like, you, I didn't even know where to look. <laughs> you know I mean? Who am I going to ask? I don't know. No idea. I didn't know any professional psychologists at all, mm. ever, not one. And it was, and again, like, so like we've, so we've kind of, where I've currently at, where I'm currently at now is that, so I've completed my undergraduate in 2017 mm-hmm. and graduated, moved to London in 2018 for work. Oh. And then I stopped working for the NHS in 2019. Right. And I've just passed two years in August in my, in my current trust as well, which is awesome. Um, but now I'm, I've got my eyes set on child and adolescent psychotherapy. Yeah. And that was very heavily influenced by the clinical lead at the time in yeah. my service, who yeah. was a senior, well, she was a consultant, um, child adolescent psychotherapist. Right. We also had a trainee in our service as well. Mm-hmm. Have the trainee who was doing the four-year doctorate um, mm-hmm. and was, was working on the training in our service. Mm-hmm. So just being, again, in the MDT style of working, but yeah. being able to pick their brains and say, you guys have quite interesting roles. Like, what do you do day to day? And like, you know what's the training like and how did you get to where you are now and being able to ask those questions gave me you know the insight I needed to be able to do because what had happened was at that point after my interest peaked I decided to defer a year because okay. I was gonna I was gonna go to Birkbeck and do mm-hmm. a two-year diploma master's yeah. um in psychoanalytical observational studies yeah I think I've seen that course yeah, so it's typically comprised of like the two years, um, psychoanalytical literature and mm-hmm. an infant observation module, yeah. which is kind of the key to the training in a sense, or the preclinical training, if they call it, because it's a case of the idea is you want to learn about the role of an, of an observer and the mm-hmm. role between mother and infant in the in the early developmental stages. Yeah. So you have to observe an infant in the home, ideally no older than four weeks old at the point of observation for two years. And that's just the first year. I just well, don't understand. That's, that's the first like two years. In your second year, you're expected to take up a second observation a week for a young child. So ideally someone in nursery or preschool, again, for another hour a week. And again, I'm not there yet, but you know, for me, I think going off of my time observing under the supervision of the educational psychologist before, yeah, being able to get a sense of that but now in this training that I'm doing at the moment so I'm mm-hmm. currently yeah so I deferred a year at Birkbeck and right. then I deferred the year at Birkbeck and then as I the more I I, I used that year to find mm-hmm. more people who were in this profession right one who looked like me mm-hmm. and two to kind of just get more insight kind of like you know if they could go back what would they do differently you know mm-hmm. what would they advise and that was great because then I got to use LinkedIn a lot more. I got to build on Young Black site. I got to yeah. kind of build these more connections through what I was doing and do work. And then it led me to come across the, the Tavistock training. Yeah. 
because I'd only really ever heard of the Tavistock through the whole like gender identity clinic. I'd not really right. been entirely too sure to what it, what its what its main role was mm. and the training it offered. But again, after having conversations with like different clinical leads and different services and yeah. different um, excuse me and different people, I was able to make a decision and say, okay, you know what? I've deferred. I have a place for Birkbeck, but let me see if I can get into the Tavistock. Brilliant. So obviously I didn't, you know, the, the, it, I remember it went live at like midnight and I immediately applied straight away. Wow. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I didn't hear back for like four weeks. And I was like, just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. And then I got an interview Brilliant. and I was like, okay, cool. So I had the interview with one of the core, one of the um, course tutors who's so lovely. And I remember in that interview being, feeling really confident, but mm getting a sense that the person interviewing me perhaps wasn't quite sure whether I could do the course you know mm. and I was like in my head I was like okay like you don't know me you know you can see I'm passionate but mm. you just have s- some slight concern and I said to her I said to the interviewer you know I will prove you wrong I this is something that I am so committed to that you know i you know, that I, whether you give me it or not, I'll, I'll, be doing this, I'll, be, I'll be doing this course. I'll be yeah. doing this type of training eventually. And I was really happy to hear that she'd given me the chance to go for it. And so I've just started my first year now at the Tavistock mm-hmm. and I'm um, four weeks in with a reading week next week. Thank God. <laughs> I was going to say thank God for the reading week. Do you know what I mean? And I think what I'm currently doing is I'm currently navigating full-time work in the NHS while it's part-time university and part-time running a business and all other, all other good stuff. And it's, it's a lot, you know, but I keep saying to myself, well, there's a world, there's a way, you know, and work have been so supportive in that I've been able to, you know, first and foremost, the, the training is directly applicable to the role I do at work anyway. Yeah. Um, I've been able to put in place supervision with the, with the trainee who's now right. in her final year. Yeah. So I'm being able to utilize her, her skills while she's still in our service mm-hmm. and making use of my first year. And I feel like my um, MDT discussions are, are, are richer, you know, and it's just these last four weeks that my, wow. I'm, I'm being encouraged to think more about what's going on for me unconsciously mm in the sessions that I work with and also the people, the people I work with as well. And I think that, uh, albeit, is quite scary and quite overwhelming because it's almost, I, I said to someone the other day, it's almost like having lots of intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And when you typically tend to ignore them, yeah. but you're being asked to pay attention to them and, yeah. and, kind of, and kind of sit with them almost. And then bring that to a seminar for discussion when you do your process notes. Yeah. And, Again, I'm only four weeks in, but I'm already seeing a shift in my thinking and how I'm feeling and how I'm relating to people. Yeah. So that's really nice for me. And I think that that's why I'm so committed to hopefully one day, you know, hopefully one day, you know, coming back on this podcast and being Dr. Cheyenne Bundy, yes. <laughs> who, who is qualified. But Absolutely. I, I, I know it's going to be a journey, but I'm, I'm so ready for it. And I think and that's what I encourage other people to sort of do, to recognise that actually, you know, other routes there's there's so much you can do with a psychology degree yeah but you're not often told and if you're not told you never attend people some people tend not to go for certain roles because they can't they can't so that's why I'm just like 
anyone listening to this who has an interest in work in psychotherapy or child psychotherapy in particular, you know, because one thing I want to do as well, I see quite a few at the moment, like mentoring schemes for clinical psychology. And I have never seen one for psychotherapy. No, no, there is what I think Barton do you want. Oh, the Black, Black Asian, um, African Asian Network. Yeah, Therapist Network. They have a mentoring scheme. They're probably the only ones I can think of. Okay. But specifically for... Psychotherapy. Specifically for psychotherapy, but specifically for, like, people who aren't white, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's another thing. So, like, for me, when I was looking for a mentor, mm. I remember I put a tweet out, and I was, like, you know, asking everyone, like, anyone in the psychology community, if anyone knew any qualified child psychotherapist who'd be looking for a mentee from a BME background. And I was very, very surprised to see how the tweet did. It did quite well. Oh, wow, it okay. kind of, it got a lot of people retweeting. Because even people who didn't know anyone yeah. retweeting it. And then I had some people like at you know adding certain people who they thought right. be a good fit. Right, right. Um, it did so well that the um, Association of Child Psychotherapists also, you know, retweeted it and they reached Brilliant. out and they sent it to their internal members. And then someone in there, someone in there, like kind of in their membership thingy, yeah, like reached out and they and they they put us in touch. That's fantastic. So all so from give or take January last January this year when I was kind of in the early stages of like doing all the pre-reading for the course, mm-hmm. I had a mentor, which was great. So I was meeting with them regularly, mm. picking their brains, asking them what it was like, you know, and just getting getting through the initial anxieties mm. and being able to just ask questions. Yeah, freely. Yeah, yeah, and that was great. And then I got me thinking, as, as application cycles have gone for Declan site, mm. I've often thought like, wow, like, I would really love to be able to be in a position where I can start offering that kind of mentoring support for people who want to go on this career as well, Perfect. because it's such a fascinating, fascinating course, fascinating way of working. And I feel like it's, it could be so, it can be so powerful for the black community yeah. to talk about mental health from this, from this perspective. And yep. whilst, whilst I'm in the early stages, right. And like, mm. I'm, admittedly finding it quite difficult to get to grips with a lot of the literature in psychoanalysis that is very over my head Um, but there's so much to be like learned from it all as well I think you know you have people like Frank Lowe who really kind of emphasize decolonizing psychotherapy yeah and like holding thinking spaces and kind of recognizing what needs to be done in the profession and that as well and I'm 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 right behind that. I'm like, this is something that I see in my lifetime being able to con- contribute to. But mm. so even though right now I feel like, you know, imposter syndrome is well and truly like there, but I always feel like it's, 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 it's been there since I was like 16. Yeah, you know. it's one of those things that it doesn't, for some people, it takes a long time to get rid of, but mm. you, you're not an imposter. <laughs> you deserve yeah. to be where you are and more today. <laughs> thank you like you're grafter you work extremely hard you've worked extremely hard to get where you are and it sounds like you've really taken opportunities by you know and really Mm. grabbed onto them to make something of them no matter what that opportunity is so that level of tenacity will hold you in good stead with the future but I think it's it's really amazing your journey is very inspirational Mm. and 
I can't imagine where you'll be in the next 10 years, but I know it'll be <laughs> fantastic. You'll be like head of something. Obviously head head of Young Black Psych, but also other things. Yeah. Too. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, as I say, I'm so excited. And then just to go back to Young Black Psych for a second as well, you know, mm. that's like, again, it's in the first year of, it, of its inception. And yeah. um, so again, me, my, uh, me and my partner, Lauren, you know, our co-founders she's the creative director yeah. and I'm sort of CEO kind of thingy and it's cool because like so with the initial um product the the, the A to Z coping strategy cards yeah. are a pack of 26 men, um, mental health resource cards that are on the one side of the cards they have a, a coping strategy and okay. on the other side they have affirmations mm. and the 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 so current um, at work I tend to work with the ages between like ages of, like six and seventeen or yeah. up to the age of eighteen yeah but in my previous line of work I was working with like again like nursery age children all yeah. up to like sixteen mm-hmm. so I've got a pretty like extensive bit of experience working around like the developmental talk of like you know up to the age of eighteen give or take yeah and excuse me um for the um for the cards. You know, I there was a there was an absolute gap, um, for that available for young people because mm. how many you know how many like um, senko teaching assistants who you know school teachers who want to support young people with their mental health and people mm. of color mm. but are having to use quite Eurocentric resources. Yeah, and you know one of the most I think one of the one of the nicest things I've heard from the card so far has been. A young person say it's so nice to see someone who looks like me on these cards yeah and I just and it like from down to the hair down mm. to the skin tone to the, oh, just it's just been so nice to hear and I was very grateful that we were able to um in the early stages of development we did a kickstarter yeah and we were able to reach out to the community and say this is what we want to do this is the difference we want to make you know if you can spare anything please help us out and we managed to raise like that like give or take like five thousand pounds in the space in a couple of months to raise some money to kind of get the production going get it all started so it was amazing and now we're in a position now where the cards are the cards are in a shop i know i saw that last week i was like i was just (laughs) there as well i would have picked all that honestly i am like my mind is blown because and it's so nice because we have been there's been days where we've just been out and we've just we've just like we've just seen kids in the community and we've just given the cards for free oh, brilliant. because you know a big you know I always say people like I'm like we're not we're not in it for the money like we are literally we want to get these cards into every every space that a young person of color who's struggling with mental health needs them mm. and that's why like you know we were um it was really nice because um when was it maybe back in like June or July um we were we were part of the red bridge race and equality scheme yeah and we were able to network with schools in the red bridge area Brilliant. to talk about black mental health and mm-hmm. to kind of share our resources with them yeah and advocate for that so then lots of the schools were able to purchase through us and then get the cards into schools Great. and with the families so it was it was so nice to be able to then like again like be in this position where we're like making a difference again like these yeah. cards are getting out there in the hands of people who actually need them absolutely absolutely I'm gonna get my hands on a on a set don't worry yeah. I'm probably gonna get a couple because I know a friend of a friend like 
who's a parent she's got twins mm. I think they'd they'd really like them so yeah I'm gonna I think it's a great product I think it's really well needed even though that's not really the sphere that I work in but mm. you know through through other people I've seen how a resource like that would be really useful and you can probably even use them with adults <laughs> in a therapeutic that, setting nothing as well like and I think I've heard people like um you know some of the strategies might be age dependent you know mm. say for example one of them is baked you know bake something yummy you know I'm not expecting a four-year-old to use an the oven by themselves yeah you know, probably not good adults, adults can get on it as well and they yeah. can support the young people because yeah. what they then do is they they not only work on that achievement with their child mm. they also teach through modeling absolutely so the young person is watching their parent you know work on their mental health and that, and and be able to communicate you know this is why we did this because it helps us feel better or things like that so it, it's really important for me to stress up with the cards you know I don't it, I'd be there, I don't want the card to be something that parents just give to their kids yeah. and then it's like you know it gets thrown in the bag next, it gets put, put next to the xbox and that's it you know I'm encouraging people to say you know the same way you would sit down and watch EastEnders every night or Coronation Street, mm. you know, sit down with your child for 20, 30 minutes and go through the cards, you know, and, and practice, practice some mindfulness, practice, practice the affirmations together. Yeah. Then that way you're just equipping your young person when they face stresses in their own lives, how, how to regulate their own emotions and how to, how we can communicate yeah. as well. Cause it's so, it, communication is so important. And I feel like when I was younger and when I was younger I had really bad exam anxiety mm. and I didn't know that what that's what it was you know right. my mindset was like just just get on with it yeah kind of thing but like, there was no discussion of mental health in the house and growing up so I struggled through exams and always cracked you know um the, under the pressure really struggled with that mm-hmm. but was never really in a position where I was able to learn about is like mindfulness and yeah. like treating my thoughts as more opinions rather than facts and mm. um grounding grounding exercises when I'm feeling quite overwhelmed and things yeah. like that so this is what, again like why do you know how like when lots of like schools go back after summer yeah and there's this whole like back to school vibe I like that's where I want the cards to kind of sit as well yeah like when it's like you know you're going back to school you're getting your planner, your pencil case, your colored pencils, you know, all that good stuff. But also you're equipping your child with something that they, that will last them through many years to come. And it's a, me- a mental health resource that they can go back to and they can utilize. And also if they're, you know, again, if a young person isn't able to use them at home of anyone, it gives the staff at school another resource to be able to create that rapport, that connection with the young people as well. Yeah. because they're like you know oh you're struggling in here maybe we can do this you know let's let, let, let's pull a card out let's get an affirmation going let's think of a strategy let's make our own you know um so there's so there's so many different ways to use the cards I think that's just the beginning for young black side I think as I as myself because oh, I'm, I'm the one in the um the therapeutic work that I yeah. do um to myself and my partner the more the, I feel like the more experienced I get, the, yeah. the more all of it will, all of my um, clinical expertise, shall we say, will go into the business yeah. to kind of continue to just create resources that are 
easily accessible for communities of colour who otherwise possibly wouldn't access mental health services and wouldn't have access to this kind of support. Absolutely. So thank you so much. I'm not going to finish you right now or end right now, but I just wanted to quickly ask about, you talked about the pathway to become a child and adolescent psychotherapist and you're on the first bit. So what's the rest, like how do you become a fully fledged child psychotherapist? Yeah. So you have to do a preclinical studies course, which typically typically tends to be between two to three years, depending on where you go. So the courses tend to include psychoanalytical and child development theory and psychoanalytical observations of infants and young children. Right. So as well as a preclinical course, you also have to have experience working with um, children and adolescents, but it doesn't have to be in a mental health setting. Okay. So there are lots of training centres across um, sort of the South and the North as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one being Leeds, one being Birmingham. And I think there's two, one in Glasgow and then there's two in London. There's UCL and then mm-hmm. there's the Tavistock as well. So there's not actually that many. Yeah, a small number, but like there's, they're spaced out. So it's yeah. kind of thing. Quite strange, isn't it? So it's comprised of a preclinical course, which yeah. tends to be between two to three years, and it has those components. And then mm. following that, then you um, tr- the clinical training itself is a four-year full-time program, which tends to include teaching, yeah. supervision, yeah. and also personal psychoanalysis. Yeah. Um, so typically, if you're a trainee, you're expected to be in personal analysis for yeah. three, time- three times a week. Three times a week? Three times a week, yeah. That means you have to pay. You have to pay for that. You're... Well, that's the thing. So if you're if you're um, if you're on the clinical training, mm. then you're you're on a NHS salaried post in a CAM service. Right. So you tend to typically start at band six as a trainee, with right, the view right. of I think potentially being able to go up to like band seven, band eight, etc. When you qualify. Right, right, right. So with and within that, you get a certain allowance for like okay. personal ther- personal analysis as well. Because oh, I'm thinking, how on earth? Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, times ex- exactly, and I think as well, like one of the things they say to us is that whilst it's not a requirement for you to be in analysis in your preclinical stages it I mean I'm four weeks in and I can kind of already see I can understand why it's beneficial to be in it now yeah so I've kind of said to myself that you know maybe in my second year when I'm in a bit more of a better position financially maybe I'll be able to explore that but Mm -hmm. for now I'm kind of I'm just making making use of the child psychotherapist that I have in my personal network to be able to um ask questions and I say and discuss certain topics or theories like that as well which is really helpful um so yeah so typically how it tends to work is that so you'll have to be successful in applying for the um clinical training but also then interviewing for a post as well in a service as well so they say that you can't you could be successful on the course but if you're not successful in the actual service then it's a case of I think you then have to then defer and apply again the following year for the for the um the service role rather than the course I think which is somewhat again like one of those it's like kind of frustrating but also it just seems that this is just the way that they do it um wow. so basically you're for want of a better term you're kind of booted out if you have to be as good as at both you can't just be heavily oh I'm great on the course yeah I can't do the work in on the field in the field you have to mm-hmm. be able to be practically good as well as 
Exactly, yeah. Exactly. And this is why it's interesting because, like, as I say, on my course currently, the preclinical training, not everyone who does the preclinical training wants to be child psychotherapist. I work with a lot, um, there's a lot of teachers, TAs, yeah. um, uh, learning, learning support assistants, yeah. psychiatrists who are already in their fields, but they want to just add something to their field, kind of the way they work with children. Yeah. So that's quite nice. And it also feels a little bit like there's less competition in that respect. Oh, absolutely. But, <laughs> but also it's just nice that, um, again, so like, well, it's quite a versatile preclinical training yeah. and it offers lots of people, lots, lots of people who don't necessarily want to pursue that full route. Because mm-hmm. again, whilst the child adolescent psychotherapist is one route, there are mm-hmm. also psychodynamic psychotherapist routes mm-hmm. as well that you can still do the preclinical training. Yeah go down a different route and okay. still be a qualified practitioner at the end of the day yeah so there's lots of I feel like it's the course is quite well-rounded and it gives you quite a lot of experience and a lot of know-how when it comes to child development as well mm. so even if you didn't want to do the training straight away you would still be able to bring in like what you what you're learning into your line of work and I think they do encourage us like I think the prerequisite of the course is to be be in at least like two days a week employment working with children right so it just so happened that with me working in a cam service it was a really good fit because yeah. it's like my business is child-centered my course is child-centered my work is child-centered so god willing the stars will align and oh, absolutely. <laughs> do you know like it'll all kind of fall into place because it's all it's all related and I've been setting up that foundation now for some time that going into it hopefully yeah they'll see that I'm committed to it and they'll see that actually it's it's something that I'd like to do so yeah that's just a a bit there but there's a lot more there's a lot more information on the association of child psychotherapists website and you could look on healthcareers.nhs.uk um I think it's forward slash like child and adolescent psychotherapist I'll put put that in the description area of the podcast for people. Um, So like I said, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and thank you for being so honest. I think when people talk about their past and their careers, it's not just about the career, it's about your life to that point. And Mm -hmm. it, it can be quite rocky and it can be quite hard for a lot of people. So thank you for being so like candid and open and honest about your experiences and I really do wish you all the best because I know with with the raw skills that you have and your tenacity you'll definitely become what you want to become and more so thank Thank you you very much and I will link all of your um if you want your socials to be on there your socials as well as yeah absolutely as well so if anyone needs any resources um if they work in schools or anything with children or even adults because I'm going to be buying some and using them on adults (laughs) just look at the young black site website which will also be linked as well awesome brilliant thank you, thank you so much for your time anytime